Hello, Midnight Myth listeners. Welcome to the Midnight Myth Time Machine. We're publishing our back catalog week by week to make our older episodes available on your favorite podcast listening platforms. What you're about to hear is episode seven, There Is No Spoon, which originally aired in March of 2017. In this episode, we compared three iconic movies released in one decisive year, 1999. Those movies are American Beauty, Fight Club, and The Matrix, and all three explore the tension between appearance and reality at the height of Pax Americana. So hop in the time machine with us, Destination 1999. Enjoy Episode 7, There Is No Spoon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is the perfect story? Does it exist? Is there a tangible formula? Has the perfect story ever been told? And if so, are we simply trying to retell this story over and over? This podcast is called The Midnight Myth, and somewhere between the black of night and the break of dawn, there is a story, and it's perfect. My name is Derek Jones. And my name is Laurel Hostack. Welcome to The Midnight Myth. Episode seven. Seven. There is no spoon. There is no spoon. Yeah. So welcome, guys, to the Midnight Myth. It's good to have you here. Um, so just to kick off this episode, I want to share just a uh, sort of a personal meditation that I had. And this was while I was walking to work one day after listening to the uh, sort of morning news shows. And there's this notion that there's this... Uh, a battle, I would say, for the truth happening right now in America with different political sides claiming that those that disagree with them are speaking fake news. And whether you agree with one side or another, you can't, you know, um, you have to admit that is currently happening. Right. And that made me think, why do I consume news? And why do I consume the news that I consume? And it made me think that at the the core of it, there is this drive to understand the truth. And it made me think about the podcast. In what way are we striving to find truth? Yeah, that's really interesting, the way you talk about that in reference to the news, because I think that that is a major reason why I consume stories and why I uh, view television and go to plays and watch movies is to uh, search for that kernel of the truth that beats at the heart of, of every good story. 
Right. And yeah, absolutely. And this is, it got me thinking of a time in American history called Pax Americana, so named. And now if you're not familiar with the term Pax Americana, it is a Latin phrase based upon Pax Romana, that there was a time called the Roman peace. Right. Where there was peace and prosperity throughout all of the empire. And growing up as a, a kid of the 90s, Pax Americana is usually referred to as the 90s. This was a time when the communist empire had fallen. Uh, the American economy was booming, uh, in, you know, no small part due to the advent of the internet. Right. And in 1999, there came a series of stories that challenged the idea that Pax Americana was this real, true peace that there was something inherently false about it, and it really resonated me with that time, and I wanted to talk about it today. Yeah, interesting that you bring up 1999, uh, because those of us who, I mean, most of the people listening are probably folks who lived through 1999. It's such an interesting cultural moment for uh, for America and I think for the whole world, because there was obviously a lot of anxiety about the millennium flipping over Uh you know, however irrational, there were fears about technology. There were fears about uh, the, what the, whatever the future held. It was a it was a strange time. Yeah, and, and this and is some strange art came out of it. Yeah, and this was right before we faced some serious challenges. In, Absolutely. You know, two thousand and one, September eleventh, uh, the war on terrorism. The war, yeah. The what is now called the Great Recession, which I don't understand. What's the difference between an economic depression and a Great Recession? I don't think there is one. Yeah, I mean, but either I, way, I'm not an economist. Neither but, am I. I. Right. I just thought that was a weird. Brown team, the well, Great Recession. Great Recession but, sounds better than uh, small depression. Sure, but so where we faced the these lull depression, these legit challenges to American core values that were still, you know, kind of in that shadow now. Well, in 1999, that wasn't really the case. We were the empire. Our, uh, the word is we were the, the hegemony. Um, we were the, the, the rulers, in effect, not necessarily of the world, literally, but we had this economic and cultural empire that was unchallenged. And so it started with, and I, I will list all three movies that I want to talk about, and all of them came out in 1999. The first is Fight Club. Mm -hmm. The second is American Beauty. And the third is The Matrix. And Never heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think we I'm, watched it together. I'm kidding. I'm I, kidding. I, yeah. Unless I was hallucinating, I could have been in The Matrix. Now, of yeah. all the movies, I think that challenge Pac, uh, Pax Americana the best, that I think create the most relevant story. To me, it's The Matrix. You know? Yeah. And the reason for that is Fight Club is very in your face. It's about a revolution. It's about... Uh, beating down the culture with your fists and then with pranks and then with actually blowing up buildings. Yeah, and it's also about a type of person. It's about a type of combative, uh, resistant person rather than the everyman, I think. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Where American Beauty really presents itself as the everyman story, presents itself as the story of the perfect American family, and then shows the crumbling within. Right, and... Um, and just so you guys know, if you haven't seen these three movies, they're all amazing. If I recall correctly, American Beauty won Best Picture in the yeah, Oscars. Yeah, a lot like, of Oscars. Yeah, like these movies are no no short. They they changed the game, so there there's no shortage of accolades to throw upon them. The Matrix, to me, did something amazing because it challenged Pax Americana 
via allegory. Right. Which, and I love your description of allegory. Go on. My description of allegory? You talk about it as a, a way of telling the truth by telling a lie. Yes. Something that is fundamentally not real and, dis, and a fundamental distortion of actual real facts, but tells a fundamental truth through a right. story. And I think The Matrix does it brilliantly. And I think of all of the movies are the ones that are going to last. I think 20, 30 years from now, when the 90s hegemonic American empire is long forgotten, Fight Club might not resonate. Right. Sure. It, it may not hit the same chords. Right. American Beauty might lose some of its pizzazz, but The Matrix, The Matrix will be there. And it will be a great story to be revered for a long time. Yeah, if you can wade through the the hair gel and the, the leather jackets and the sunglasses, then then yes, I think it's pretty timeless. Sure. I mean, yeah, they they, they look like they're in the nineties. And the cell phones and the- yeah, But no one no one, you know, watches the original right. Star Wars movie and goes, Man, that's a bad haircut. Oh, that's anachronistic. Yeah. So I you know, to me it's it's beyond the haircut. And the reason I I, I highlight the Matrix as the best one, because it it is enjoyable on so many layers. And it also had people uh, questioning their existence and the nature of their reality. It still does. You know, we, we watched it again. I had seen it pretty shortly after it came out, and I was very young, and it scared the hell out of me. Uh, and we watched it again the other night, and I was like, this still kind of scares me in the idea that it, it makes me question the nature of my reality. And for those that haven't seen The Matrix, it's about this one character named Neo. And one of the things that I love about it is every character's name has a relevance, or you can just enjoy it because on face value it's cool, which is the power of allegory. Right. You can just enjoy the story to enjoy it. Yeah, like Animal Farm. Exactly. Right. Who did Animal Farm again? George Orwell wrote Animal Farm, but it's it's a pretty... Thinly veiled allegory for uh, uh, communism and the rise of of the Bolshevik Revolution and and such and such and or so on. Gulliver's Travel, which is about the oh, British yeah. parliamentary system and how is corrupt it, it is. Is it really? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a total allegory. That's amazing. But I've see, only read uh, bits and pieces. That's the power of allegory, is because it it tells a a timeless and amazing story. So fundamentally, surface value. The character Neo, it's about his assertion into power. It's about him having this preordained destiny. There's a fundamental truth about him that he's part of a story that he doesn't really fully understand. And we watch this character Neo come to grips with this and come to terms with his innate power as the one, the person that can bring peace between the war between humans and machines. Yeah, uh, Neo, a very interesting character for me, because uh, if you've been keeping up with the blog and, and listening to the podcast at all, you probably pick up on that I have a, a lot of love for Joseph Campbell and his hero's journey. Uh, and Neo and the Matrix in general is a really, really prime example of a modern interpretation of that hero's journey. Uh, and he draws a lot from biblical sources as well. But uh, his you know his serendipitous embarking on the uh, on, on the adventure, and then his subsequent choice uh, to to continue down that rabbit hole, uh, I think, is a really beautiful uh, 
it, it takes it takes from both the serendipity and the the free will kind of package of that hero's journey because you can fall into that rabbit hole or you can jump down yourself and he kind of does both which I love. That's that's amazing. And to put some context for those that maybe haven't seen the Matrix, there the the character Neo. He's it's 1999. He's working for a software company. He can't sleep. He doesn't eat well. He's not a healthy human being. And so pale. And yeah, and full of woes. And um, <laughs> see what I did there? Yeah. Yeah. And um, so sorry, we always share little jokes with ourselves. But any event, actually, I'm not sorry. Anyway, I digress. So <laughs> uh, Neo confronts this other character, Morpheus, and Morpheus gives him a choice. Morpheus, so named for the Greek god of dreams. Yes. And he tells Neo that in his Neo's drive as to what is the Matrix, he can't put a a real name on it. He can't put a real sense to this uncertainty, but he fundamentally is questioning what is real. And Morpheus gives him the choice to, you have two pills, one pill, the red pill, you will go down the rabbit hole and learn what the Matrix is. The other pill will be the blue pill in which he'll go to sleep and he will wake up and be able to believe whatever he wants to believe. And Neo chooses the red pill. He chooses the truth. And the mystery. And it reminds me of those game shows where you either get to take home the $1,000 that you won or you get to open the mystery box, which might be a new car or it might be... Nothing. Turtle wax. Yeah. Yeah, and... It's important that Neo makes this choice and the choice that he is, is making allegorically. So not just in terms of the face value of the story about his, his journey towards a hero. Allegorically, he's choosing to peel back what? What is the Matrix? It's Pax Americana. It's this mm. universe where there is this American cultural and economic uh, hegemonic uh, reality where there is no right. challenges, there are no great suffering, everyone who wants a job has a job, but there's something fundamentally wrong with it. And what is the problem? The Matrix turns individuals into batteries for soulless machines. And it's making a commentary to me about the, the idea that, hey, we've achieved peace and prosperity, but there's still so much more missing from our achievements that peace and prosperity are fundamentally not enough. And it makes that, that comment that without a spiritual evolution, peace right. and prosperity is just everyone going along like they're the beehives in this, this great entire machine that yeah. is ultimately moralless and ultimately soulless. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's that, that sort of vacuous uh, embrace of, of materialism and that, that love of what's on the surface that that keeps us from digging deeper. It actually shares a lot with uh, with Eastern philosophy in that way. The Matrix being the the world that we live in, the physical world, the world of sensation. Sure, the material uh, realm. Yeah, and then needing to make that choice and to do the work to peel back those layers and embrace the the truth, however uh, ascetic or ugly it might be. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Do not try to bend the spoon. That's impossible. First realize the truth. There, there is, is no spoon. spoon. Then you will see it is not the spoon that bends, but merely yourself. Oh. And to me, that, that's a scene in which 
there's a character called the Oracle. And what Matrix does really well is it calls upon these long-standing story tropes of having an oracle. And yeah, mythical, mythological references. And this all lines up with Joseph Campbell as well, uh, the hero with the thousand faces being the uh, the real framework for that hero's journey. I'd recommend checking it out if Could, you are listening to this. Yeah. You've mentioned it a few times. Could you give me like the Wikipedia page version of that? Yeah. For, for, yeah. for, for my edification, because I've never read it, and if any of our listeners have never read it. Yeah, Campbell is kind of the the foremost uh, mythologist of American um, uh, research, I would say. That's amazing. I yeah. wish I had that job. Oh, yeah. And and we will, uh, at some point, you and I should check out The Power of Myth with uh, with Bill Moyers. He sat down with Joseph Campbell and really talked about uh, about trope and about cliche and about the, uh, the universal elements of storytelling with uh, Star Wars, you know, uh, George Lucas being a disciple of his and using that framework to build Star Wars upon. Um, but Campbell has kind of this theory about the monomyth, uh, that all stories really come out of, of that one universal um, framework. Uh, and so he, he compares a, a huge amount of, of mythology from different cultures and from different religions uh, and in the hero with a thousand faces, he kind of puts all those heroes together and says, these are all hitting the same marks. Uh, maybe not exactly the same order, but these are the things that a hero has to do. And here's how he gets from point A to point B, essentially. So right. it's it's really, it lays the groundwork for that. But the comparative mythology is what's really important. It really pulls from all different cultures. Right. And here at the Midnight Myth, our entire sort of motivation is that the there's this thing called the midnight myth and it's a perfect story. And I feel like that that structure and that framework is is very helpful because the perfect story has an element of escapism and an element of reality. And the matrix plays with that and flirts with that on a level that is I think unique in Hollywood. Yeah. Cuz right now Hollywood is either going hyper into realism or hyper into escapism. Right, yeah. With very little in between. And there's not, and what Matrix did is that they did both. And so that is why I think of all of the sort of challenges to this idea of Pax Americana being this great and mighty and amazing time. Um, you know, this is the one that'll stand the test of time because it can be appreciated on so many different levels. And the if this the search for truth is something that that fundamentally drives you and it keeps you awake maybe one or two nights a week. You know, the matrix to me was the movie that when I first watched, I'm like, what am I watching? I thought this was just a martial arts action yeah, movie, Yeah, but it's not, it's about this great mystery that what is the matrix? And in the first arc, the whole thing is, what is this? What's really happening? And then when you learn what's really happening, you realize that every mind is in a prison, right? Uh, another thing I'll say about The Matrix, and I, I do agree with you that it, it will hold up and it, it holds up today, uh, but I think it kind of was lightning in a bottle that it was it was 1999. I don't think it could have come out before or after that moment in, in American memory uh, because so much of it deals with that question of humanity and and inhumanity, technology. And so we were all, you know storing a bunch of canned food in our basements and worrying that our computers were going to wake up and destroy us the next day because of some, you know, technical glitch. 
uh, which when you look back, it's crazy that we really thought Y2K was going to be the end of the universe, right? Oh, yeah. Th- like there, might was... be, there might be people listening to this that are too young to remember, but 1999, there was a legitimate fear that computers didn't know how to calculate the new, next millennium, and we would see technological apocalypse right. at year 2000, which never, and ever happened. And it didn't happen. We were okay. Yeah, yeah it didn't and happen. We're, I mean, we're okay, but... Uh, I also think it's important if we're discussing American culture and storytelling that the September 11th attacks and what that did in our collective psyche, it was no longer, I think, as readily acceptable or as readily available to challenge Americanism when Americanism was fundamentally under threat. And I think that changed the way that we, we, we viewed stories in particular in major pop culture where America ha- could no longer be the bad guy. We couldn't say that there was something wrong with our culture. We had to rebuild our culture because let's face it, when you get surprise attacked, it's going to create a, a cultural sh- like shock wave. Yeah. And it's going to change the way that you tell stories, rightfully so. Right. And I think in 1999, in that moment when you talk about lightning in the bottle, that was a moment where we could inflect upon the peace and prosperity that we had and really question whether our culture was was heading in the right direction or not. Because when you are unchecked and you have uh, uh, unlimited power, there comes a moment where you should look in the mirror and be like, well, what next? What are we missing? Right. You know, why isn't this a utopia? You know, why why isn't life perfect? Why do we still have problems? And I'll face it, a lot of people in 1999 were just going, la, 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 there are no problems. Yeah. And they are all now, we're seeing them surface up. We're seeing stuff rise to the surface. Yeah, I think that's a really astute analysis of kind of that, that shift in our cultural thinking. Uh, but but yeah, to that point also of, of the, the timelessness of the Matrix, regardless of that, uh, that impending kind of uh, feeling that really probably had a lot to do with the conception of that film. It was like, oh... We could put this out right now because what if technology rose up and took over humanity, which is has not gone away in film. No, not at all. Like no, Ex no. Machina You're... a couple years ago, it, Black Mirror is a Battle, huge Battlestar Galactica, Battlestar Galactica. Was, af- was after that. The, at least the remake of Battlestar right. Galactica. Yeah. But what I'll say about the other two films that we're uh, we're talking briefly about Fight Club and American Beauty uh at least with American Beauty, it it digs so deep into the the human uh, the human element of that Pax Americana and that uh, that rejection of Pax Americana. I think, um, and with, all with the main them, the main character Lester Berman, Lester and, and his also, his rejection of it, and also Jane and right. uh, Ricky Fitz. I think a lot of them really uh, have have their own personal struggle with with what it's supposed to be, with what they are supposed to be. And see, so you see the dissolving the, of the American family. Interesting. So Lester Berman's the main character of American Beauty. Yeah. Um, Ricky Fitz is the drug dealer neighbor who is also uh, selling weed to Lester Berman and is also dating Jane, his daughter. Yeah. I feel like Jane's character, in my, my opinion, uh, is going through a rather trite spiritual, like, like I feel like she represents youth. Right, like she oh, represents for sure. the, not the naivety. She's like she represents, man, my life is so so screwed up. But like a lot of teenagers at that time, your life really isn't screwed up at all. 
in fact, your life is fine. Sure. Uh, Whereas but, Ricky, Ricky to me is like the spiritual center that links them all. He's exactly. the one that sees it, right? Like he's the one that's like, all of this is fucked up. Which is why I referenced Jane because of her closeness to Ricky, because right. the two of them together, at least he shares with her his kind of revelations about the material world. Right. And what's the most beautiful thing Ricky can find? It's piece a piece of trash, of trash or a dead bird. If that's not an example that, you know, he's legitimately showing that art is decaying. Right. That spiritual re- like revelation is decaying. Yeah. You know, like like that that to me is that that. And there were to me is Lester's the guy that's like, man, I'm supposed to have the world for pardon me for being crude, but by the balls. I've got the white picket fence. I've got the beautiful wife. I've got mm-hmm. the beautiful daughter. I've got the nice cushy job. We've got American Beauty roses in our garden. And he looks at all of that and is just like, I should be happy, but I'm not. Right. Uh, yeah. And I think it, it deals a lot with, uh, with the psychological effects of that, of, uh, of living in a material culture that, that values the surface. Um, but I think there's something, there's something really beautiful about, I mean, of course there's something beautiful about it. It's a wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful film, but, to see that quiet falling apart, uh, I think does something very different than the matrix does, but in a way produces a similar effect. And they are so different movies. Like like, so the the matrix at its core is a sci-fi action movie. Of course, which is one of the reasons why I love it because you can watch it and be like, I love like who doesn't love watching this amazing sci-fi action when Neo and Agent Smith are out there kung fu battling, when Morpheus is looking at him like, come on and hit me! You know, like, it's so amazing. Yeah. American Beauty is different because you you have to go on this journey with Lester and you have to look at the 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 ugliness of his life to get to the beauty. You have to, you, you like, and it's you can't, so you don't have a existential. choice. existential. I mean... It's not an allegory. Yeah, but spoiler alert, he... And it's not really a spoiler because he spoils it for himself in the beginning, but he's narrating this entire thing from the perspective of his dying his mind. Yeah. Death. Yeah. yeah. Uh, his last, his last thoughts. Yeah. He yeah. takes us on this journey with him, but in kind of a, a relation to the, our, our episode last week, I think all three and some more obviously than others, I think all three of the movies we've brought up are stories of resistance as well. But sure. it's a resistance not to a uh, an evil regime or a, a a massive powerful empire, but resistance to a collective uh, numbing. Sure, and this this notion that you know once you have conquered the world, what next? But if right. you if you don't bring higher values, if you don't bring a higher spiritual awareness, and I say these these terms loosely, not philosophically rigid. Right. I don't mean that. You know, you have to have a written set of values that everyone must follow. But the things that are missing in the main character's lives, Neo, before he takes the red pill, um, Lester Berman, before he decides to quit his job and start smoking weed and lifting weights and flipping burgers. Um, You know, the character that doesn't have his name, who is hallucinating Tyler Durgan because he never gets a name um, in Fight Club before he realizes, you know, uh, that his perfect, his nice, neat little shit, as he calls it, he should be complaining about before he gets to that point, all sense something that there's just something 
fundamentally missing and wrong with, with the world. And there's a kernel of truth there. And I don't want to say that they have this universal truth that um, is, is amazing, but it's a point that when storytellers hold up the mirror and ask us to look deeper into ourselves, yeah, that's what's amazing. Yeah. And, and I think there's also, it's important to point out the, the sort of underground and literally underground nature of, of both Fight Club and The Matrix. And I'm sure I could pull something out of my butt for American beauty, but... Well, one of the, the spiritual advisor to Lester on his journey through his reawakening is a drug dealer. Right, yeah. Yeah, so that, that, uh, that idea of receding below the surface of the earth or mm-hmm. of you know the basement of your house or wherever you're going to hold your fight club uh that that is a a really powerful metaphor for yeah just digging a little bit below that, that interesting, facade interesting point that just like kind of popped into my mind a little bit of a boomerang when we finally see the real world in the matrix and mm-hmm. they're on the Nebuchadnezzar which is a absolute biblical reference yeah uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who sacked Babylon um, in in the, the Old Testament, and is probably fairly historically accurate. Sorry, I digress. When they are in their hovercraft and they're explaining to Neo where that they are, like where are they living? They're living in the sewers of ruined cities right. from the nineties. Yeah, they're literally underground. They're in the the the, the shit of other cities that that's the only place that they can escape the machines. It's such an amazing metaphor. Right. Yeah. That, that hiding underground. And that there's something on the surface that you need to hide from that's fundamentally wrong or off. Yeah. Or bad. Yeah. Um, and we know that the matrix is, is a computer program, but it kind of is, you know, it's, it's fitting that they're hiding underground from the, the creatures who, perpetuate the matrix right yeah these these sentient bots um yeah but man just uh i think i I think i said all i gotta say you got any boomerangs this week i don't think i have any boomerangs um any final thoughts or do do you want to go to the game you know i we'll go to the game here in a second we will uh we'll be revisiting the matrix because uh there's there's so much to say about it and it i think it really lives in the world of the midnight myth in a really amazing way. Uh, and I think we'll be revisiting a lot of it soon when it comes to questions about free will, when it comes to questions about technology. Uh, I think we will, we will address a lot of those soon. So, uh, we, we have been discussing doing a, an entire podcast about destiny versus free will in which the matrix, uh, is definitely a part of, I would say. Yeah. And I, I am especially, uh, interested in the idea of of the chosen one uh and stories that focus on a chosen person right. uh, and what that what that means to be chosen within a story so i'm very interested in that and the question of free will versus fate oh something i did want to say about the matrix slightly off topic a yeah. little bit of a midnight myth boomerang um you're just tossing all the boomerangs tonight huh you know i i'm 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 a i'm like captain boomerang which is not a thing I've, I just crossed oh, Captain thing. Cold. Anyway, um, sorry for my, my comic <laughs> friends that I just messed up some of the Flash's villains. But in any event, I, I'd like to say this too. 
that the Matrix also becomes this odd parody of itself because mm, mm-hmm. I look at the Matrix in the movie as a complete story. What do we see at the very end of it? We see system failure. Right? We see Neo in the Matrix. We see system failure. He hangs up the phone saying that you know he's going to show these people a world they don't want to see. He's going to end the Matrix. And it ends. And he hangs up the phone. And in one of the most beautifully directed scenes, an amazing Rage Against the Machine song called Wake Up comes on. And what is funny that, you know, there, there is a metaphor about the sort of, you know, uh, the fundamental falseness of the American cultural and economic hegemonic 1990s. What does The Matrix do with its popularity? It makes two horrific other movies that have no business ever being made. <laughs> yeah. And like, I am not a hater. I very rarely have you guys heard me just speak ill of something on this podcast. Cause other I don't want to Twilight. Be, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Other than Twilight, but you know, the, the second and third matrix movies to me, or like, this is what happens when man, we, we found lightning in the bottle. We have something really amazing. We need to make more money. So let's invent more story that doesn't need to be told. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a bummer. It's a bummer because it just plays right into the hands of the of the evil creatures. And and like a sucker, creating the Matrix. I, w- I went and saw both of those movies. I did not. You were smarter than me. I have not seen them. They're not worth watching. I Yeah, that's all I've ever heard. Yeah, and like not only that, like part of what made the Matrix so amazing that it was a technological achievement and watching it now, I would say that the graphics still hold up for the most part. Yeah. They're really pretty good. Yeah. It, it's pretty high definition. Yeah. Uh, so it, it obviously doesn't look as good as like a, a modern Mar- Marvel movie does right now, but it still is believable. Like you, you you're not looking at that and be yeah. like, Oh wow, that looks dated. Yeah. It's almost 20 years ago and it still looks pretty good. Well, the second and third movies look bad at the time. Right? Oh really? Yeah, they, they just didn't look good. There, there, some scenes look great. Don't get me wrong, but some scenes were just poor. There's a, there's the the ending fight scene was just it it's like watching a, a Dragon Ball Z cartoon. That's how terrible I saw that, that in movie the honest ends. trailer. Yeah, and it's one hundred percent honest. Yeah, and it, you know, so I think there there's a lesson there to say when you've told your story, you've told it. Like why add on to it? I know that there's money to be made, but if you don't have a good story to tell. And you already told yeah. that that story and you don't have another like if there was a, another part, if there was a part of the Matrix that was ambiguous, that as a fan, I needed to right. see more. But when you the saw only, a complete work of art, you saw a complete work of art. The only fruit they kind of dangle before you is is Zion. You haven't seen Zion, uh, but that's Which not enough. Yeah, is significant because it's about. So one of the things that Trinity says to me to Neo in the very beginning you know, it's the question that drives you, meaning that it's it's the search for truth. Mm-hmm. Zion is the land of milk and honey. It doesn't need to be real. Yeah, it doesn't need to exist at all. Yeah, like it is this, this it's the one place that's safe from the machines. And yeah. you already know by seeing their lives in Nebuchadnezzar that Zion is not a happy or good place. No. And that what humanity needs to do is to reclaim the world from the machines. And we and when we do finally get to Zion in the the Matrix movies, it's 
it's just this atrocious, weird, erotic, dancey, like tribal, like it just like it, it, it no. just, you know, I, I just wanted to take this very minor platform and very minor soapbox and be like, <laughs> when you have told your story and I get it that someone said, Hey, you know, guys that made the the matrix, I forget the, the, the names, the two brothers, the Wachowskis, the Wachowskis, um, now brother and sister, pardon right. me. Um, so, Hey, if you do this, you're going to make a crap ton of money. And I get that that temptation is there and you only live once. But if you're not telling a good story, you have tainted this amazing movie. Yeah, it it makes me think back to like creative writing classes in high school where, uh, you know, you talk about the idea of sequels at all. And a sequel, a sequel should exist if your your characters who you created for that original story keep you up at night because they are not done right? because they're like, my story's not over yet. And I kind of doubt that the Wachowskis had Neo and Trinity on their shoulders being like, we're not done. Right. Like when George Lucas made star Wars, he knew there was more to that story from the beginning. Right. And he was like, man, if I get lucky, I'll tell the rest. But uh, at least I got to tell this. Whereas the matrix was the story. Yeah. Um, one other final thought before the game, if if you will permit an indulgement. Please, on this. please. What I love about The Matrix compared to uh, Fight Club, compared to American Beauty, and the way they made us question the Pax Americana, that there's always an elusive truth in Fight Club and American Beauty, and they don't really always get it, and it's always weird. But what The Matrix tells us, the Matrix is knowable. In other words, the truth is real. We can get to the truth. It's not easy sometimes. Sometimes it's hard. And sometimes we have to fight. And sometimes the truth is ugly. And we may not like it. And we may not want to admit it. And we may want to live in a false reality. But for those of us that strive for the truth, it is knowable. And that is something that I love about that movie. That the Matrix... It, you can find out what it is. And when you when you find out, you can rise above it. And you can become one that, that the matrix doesn't have to define you. And I think in this is where I got to in the original idea for this episode. The truth is out there about the world, guys. And when we are searching for it in whatever way, search for it and search for it honestly. Don't just go to the place. That, that tells you what you want. Yeah. yeah. Don't just listen to the people that tell you what you want to hear. And if someone is sitting there and telling you, this is how the world is, and it's really simple, and I've totally figured it out, and it's what you already thought was true, they are fucking lying to you. Ooh. Yeah, because the truth, the truth is, is not easy. It's really hard to get to. It's the matrix. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like... And when we are seeing the matrix for the first time, we, we have the ability to really live and really understand and know truth and beware of those that say it's simple and say that it's easy because they are just trying to turn you into a battery. Wow. Yeah. To the, to the game, take the red pill. Okay. To the game, to the game.
So this is a fun one. Usually when we play these little games at the end, we don't share our answers with each other so that we can kind of surprise each other with our uh, our explanations. But in this one, we only had two answers you could possibly give. And then uh, we tasked each other to, to come up with some justification. And we would love you to play along. Uh, if you would like to, please tweet at us at The Midnight Myth or check us out on Facebook, Facebook uh, Midnight Myth Podcast. Or uh, drop us a line on the website, www.midnightmyth.com. So, let's do it. Give us the rules. Do you choose the truth or the matrix? Blue pill, red pill. Knowing what you know from that movie, do you choose the truth or the matrix? So, to put some context to make sure I fully get it, I'm sitting with Morpheus. He has the red pill, which I could take... And I could free myself from the Matrix and join the resistance against the machines. Or I could take the blue pill and continue on and live in the Matrix. Yes, although with this discussion, I assume that we both have a little bit of knowledge uh, already as to the Matrix or uh, or the truth. So we're, we're actually kind of like, what's his name? Who has dinner with Agent Smith? Um, uh, Cypher. We're Cypher. The character Cypher, who chooses the Matrix yeah. because he the, the reality has worn him down so much, right. he'd rather live in this fake reality. Yeah. All right. Uh, who goes first? Me or you? You go first. I will uh, quote one of my intellectual heroes, who is controversial, um, but it is a man by the name of Sigmund Freud. And Sigmund mm. Freud, in a fantastic work of philosophy, civilization and its discontents is discussing um, whether it's not to believe something because it makes your life easier. And if something makes your life easier, just believe it, even if it's real or not real. And uh, discussing the idea of ignorance is bliss. And he has this amazing quote, and I quote, ignorance is ignorance. Oh. And... The knowing whether you have the opportunity to live truthfully but hard or blissfully in ignorance, I understand that uh, the material desire for blissful ignorance, but living and walking the, the like, you know, Morpheus says this in The Matrix, there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. Walking the path is so much harder, right? Knowing the path is easy. You know, and almost like we all kind of always have these in, like these intuitions of what is really right and what is wrong, but it's easy to just ignore them. To me, you take the blue pill. I'm sorry, you take the red pill. I you confuse take my pills. The red pill. You take the red pill, and you live in in the truth, and it's harder, and it's not easy, and it's messy, and you may die, but you die free rather than live a slave. And I think that is. It is always the better choice because the end of the day, ignorance is not bliss. It's just ignorance. I rest my case. That's magical. It reminds me of the uh, the motto of the Czech Republic and the Czech lands, which is uh, the truth shall prevail. Can I say when, just so everyone is listening, when I said one of my heroes, Sigmund Freud, Laurel gave me this like, face, like what is I, he talking about? I had to like, grow up a little bit in my mouth. I get he's controversial. 
Like, I get it. Oh, we'll talk. I totally get that he's controversial. We will talk. Um, oh, I can't wait and, to get to Oedipus. And yeah, and, and, and I get that there's, I mean, uh, a guy that understood uh, stories, totems and taboos, going through different stories and different cultures. And, and yet Freud filters everything from the psychosexual. And we could debate whether that's actually how humanity lives or doesn't. And you might beat Freud in that debate knowing what we know now. But uh, still, very he's a intellectual hero of mine. We'll have to do a, a Freud versus Jung battle one of these days on the podcast because I will I'll get all behind my boy CG. Can we make it a rap battle? Yes, I think it's been done. Oh, it has. Okay. So moving on. That was a big uh, deflation. Anyway, I give think me give you me the case tell. for the red pill. I think you can tell I'm going to take the blue pill. The wow. You are confusing the pills. So I'm going to take the blue pill and live in blissful ignorance. And there's a couple of reasons for this. Uh, I am a, I'm a poet. And the things that people write poetry about are the world of sensation and the world of material good and material and, and sins of the flesh and joys of the flesh and pleasure. And to sacrifice those things is against my nature. But the real reason why I choose the blue pill is coming from uh, from a position of, of being cipher and having seen what the matrix is and seen what happens to humans within the matrix. It is sustainable. It is an environmentally sustainable system, which is much greater than anything humanity has yet created. Uh, it, it is a perpetual motion machine in, its, in itself. Uh, and when you take the human element out of the governing of the whole thing, you avoid, uh, you avoid human error, you avoid corruption, and you introduce this kind of new world of sustainable living because humans are the ones destroying the environment. Humans are the ones who blew up the sky and burned out the sun. In, in the Matrix, not... We, right. In case but, anyone's listening, I don't think humanity's done that yet. But we we're might, close. We may be destroying the environment. We're close. But actually, no, we are. We are destroying the environment. And machines presumably would have an understanding of how to cons conserve energy and uh, lose as little energy as possible and continue something as, as far into the future without harming the environment around it. Um, and so I think that being part of something bigger than myself that is a sustainable perpetual motion machine uh, is more honorable than being a petulant uh, protester. You know, and this is a really good point, actually. Yeah. Well, it, because I'm kind of a petulant protester. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, pardon me. I'm fighting the cold. Um, you know, there's the amazing scene where. Uh, Agent Smith is trying to hack into Morpheus's mind because if he gets into Morpheus's mind, he'll be able to hack into Zion, wipe out the human resistance, and then he can leave the Matrix as the sentient program. And he makes this argument that humanity is a disease. He says when he's yeah. trying to classify humanity, he can't because uh, humanity doesn't exist like any other mammals because humanity goes to an area, consumes its resources until they're gone and moves on. Whereas every other 
mammal has a homeostasis. It finds an equilibrium with its environment, yeah. And that the, the humanity actually operates more like a virus than a mammal. And he says that, hey, the machines are the cure to right. that virus. And in a very, like, if we were to take this, this metaphor on it, 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 that's actually not even a metaphor. If you take this uh, sort of analysis, the machines kind of have an argument. Right. And he's making an argument about Pax Americana values. Yeah. Of how, and I buy it. And it's a very, it's a very compelling argument. You know, I'd still say, I, you know, I stand by the red pill. You stand by the blue pill. And the last thing I'd like to say is... I, I find it foolish to assume that the uh, the human search of the truth is is supreme uh, to to again assume the supremacy of the human race over the earth uh, and I, I interesting point yeah and and I I agree to the nobility of that search for truth no matter how hard it would be but here in this situation when I'm gonna choose either the blue pill or the red pill I don't want to I don't want to assume that I am in possession of the truth and that the machines are not and that my search for it is more important than the good of the entire planet. Interesting, interesting point. I would really like to hear from our listeners, you know, tweet at us, Facebook, hit us up on the website. What pill would you choose and tell us why? Yeah. And, and just to kind of clear the air here, the two of us, we, we had to kind of decide between ourselves who was going to defend which side. So I think we both uh, share a lot of the values of both sides uh, in a way. And it, it it's kind of funny how my answer stands in opposition to how I live my life in the world. But when I step back and think about it, I'm like, hmm, maybe there's something bigger going on here. But you know what the cool thing is about this game? Because it forces us to choose a side and argue it when... And we didn't do this necessarily organically. We both just got, all right, you take this one, you take this one. It shows you that when you are trying to search for the truth, you can find an argument for both. Which is why when I say when someone is telling your opinion is the fundamental truth about the universe, that they're not being honest to you because it's so much more complex and you can make an argument. And that's why the search for truth is so important because you can make an argument for anything sound uh, to, to sound reasonable or to sound good. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I feel really good about this episode. I, uh, just want to say guys, we have, I think now five, five star reviews on iTunes. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much to the, our five reviewers. Like really like it means a lot. If, uh, you are listening and you have some thoughts, we'd love for you to go onto iTunes and review us. Yeah, it, it just warms me in my cockles of my heart just to know that you guys are out there listening. So please drop us a line either on iTunes or on the website or our social media. We'd love to hear from you. Any feedback that you have is greatly appreciated and we love you. Yeah, and uh, until next time, be kind. Be kind to each other and to the planet. <laughs>